You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What is going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, the host and founder of the Seeking Excellence podcast. And I'm very, very excited today to have one of my friends on, Kathy Gibbons. Kathy, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. This is exciting. This is my first interview that I've ever done for this podcast. Wow. Yeah. So thanks for having me on. That's very exciting. And uh, what an honor. What an honor to be your first podcast interview. Uh, <laughs> it's an, and I it's think, my honor. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking a minute ago, I was like, I think you're the first uh, husband then wife I've ever had on, you know? Yeah. I think you've had noble on twice, right? Twice now. Yeah. 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 So we did one last, I think actually, no, he was like in episode like eight, I want to yeah, say he was early. Like, he was early. Yeah. Then like 105 or something like that. So, uh, very exciting stuff, but yeah. Awesome. I mean, I I've loved, obviously we've had some great conversations, you know, around the, the kitchen Island and things at your house, yeah. <laughs> me and noble and Emily, uh, and so I'm very excited to, to get your thoughts today, but, uh, yeah, first would just love to hear a little bit of intro about yourself and then we can talk about your new endeavor and podcast that you have coming out here soon. Yeah, thanks. So, uh, my name is Kathy and, uh, my background, I have been an entrepreneur for going on 25 years, which is kind of hard to believe it's been that long, wow. but we love it. We love the entrepreneur life. My husband is noble and I help him run um, a business where we teach emotional intelligence. His podcast is EQ Gangster. And like you said, he's been on your podcast a couple of times, but we are also a homeschooling family. We have one daughter, she's 14 and is now in high school, which is kind of crazy. Um, and that's kind of where the whole thing started for this podcast that I'm launching. It started with the homeschool or homeschool journey, which is kind of crazy. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you want to jump into that yet or not, but that's yeah. me. That's who I am. No, that's really awesome. And I don't, I don't know how much we've talked about this before, but Emily's really committed to homeschooling as well. And it's kind of funny, like I reflect often on the journey that I've had from starting to date her until where we are now. Uh, and I think this podcast is coming out like right before, right after we get married. Um, but I've gone on quite the journey myself and being like, you know, before I was like very pro, like sending to at least Catholic school, but now I'm like, I don't want to do that. You know, like I'm all team homeschool. I'm like all in on it. And it's really funny, like thinking back on it, that you guys were the first like homeschool family. I think I had really encountered in my life. Um, we had like maybe one or two that like went from homeschooling to coming to our Catholic school when I was in high school or like seventh and eighth grade. Um, but 
I had never met normal homeschoolers before, <laughs> 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 or very rarely. I can think of another family who homeschooled that they had some pretty normal and awesome kids, but uh, that's good. There's a the, few of us out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the majority were like what you expect. And uh, yeah. And so, yeah, very grateful for that, obviously. But yeah, we'd love to dive into, yeah, your homeschool journey and how that's led into you. I, I mean, I obviously think that's played a huge part in you realizing what's lacking in the world and what we're going to mainly be talking about today. Um, and the world has has also helped, obviously, in revealing that to you because it is so obviously lacking. So, yeah, tell us about the, the even take us all the way back to like your first decision to homeschool. Absolutely. So it's so it's interesting, uh, you know, as I I'll take you way back. I grew up. <laughs> and so my parents were missionaries. Oh, yeah, yeah. You have so, a very interesting background. Yeah. So growing up now, we never lived, by the way, my dog is on the floor right here. And so if you hear snoring, it's him. It's Ted. <laughs> it's Ted. Yes. Ted is kind of infamous. But so my parents were missionaries. And while we never lived overseas for long periods of time, my dad was um, a teacher at a Bible college here in the States. And so he trained at one point, he trained probably half the missionaries that were out in the mission field, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, because there's a wow. lot of them out there. And what we would do though, is we would take short-term trips during the summer. So I have literally spent months of my life living in very remote places, living in jungles on the side of rivers, in huts that just have bamboo floors, thatched roofs, no walls, none of that. We're bathing in rivers with crocodiles on the other side, just some crazy stuff, right? So the cool thing about that though, is I got to grow up realizing a couple things. Number one, that there's a big world out there. Number two, that it's not all about me and my life in America and, you know, my little hometown and just the things that I can see around me. And number three, I learned to think outside of the box because I realized that the things that we see on a daily basis is only a small part of the reality. It's only a small part of what's actually happening. And God has a big plan and God is working his plan around the world. I think we tend to get so, especially here, I don't know, this probably happens in a lot of, in a lot of other places. I don't want to just say, especially in America, but we tend to get so myopic in our vision. And we think that the world revolves around America. We think that uh, scripture revolves around America. If it's happening here, oh, you know, I don't know if you hear this a lot, but oh, it must be the end times because this is happening or that's happening. And it's only happening in America. And meanwhile, Christians have been being been persecuted for centuries, right? And around around the world. <laughs> it's like, okay, no. So being able to grow up that way, I just had a view to think outside the box anyways. Now I was kind of like you, I went to a private Christian school. So I had a great education. But here's the thing with even and I will talk about education, right? I will, because I feel like our educational system, I'm going to tell you the story of how our educational system got to the, where it's yeah, at. It's yeah. fascinating. This is fascinating to I'm me. excited to hear it. And it answers a lot of the questions of why we're kind of in the mess that we're in, um, in our country, but also I would say in Western civilization. So a Christian school is great, but it's just like, it, fundamentally it is structured just like a public school, we just add God in, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise it's pretty indistinguishable. We still have subjects. We still have pretty much the same subjects. We have a bell and we move classes in between the bell and right. Everything else is pretty much the same, except we have added in some God or religion classes or whatever that looks like. So that was, that was me. 
when, so I, you know, grew up, got married, married my husband, Noble, he was in the military. And then we started a business. We became entrepreneurs because again, I, I was always, when they got, this thing always blows my mind. When we've got students and they're in about 11th grade, so here they are 16, 17 years old. The question we ask them is, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's one of the dumbest questions we can ask 16 year olds. Most of them don't even know. Some of them do. Some of them know what they want to do, but a lot of them don't have a clue. I think we're asking the wrong questions, right? What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do when you grow up? I don't even think these are the right questions that they're asking, but the, you know, the high school guidance counselor asked me that question and it terrified me because I thought I can't think of one thing I want to do every day for the rest of my life. Because remember, I had lived this life where I had seen the world. Like I truly had seen so much, so much interesting, so many interesting things around the world. I thought, now I have to go sit in an office every day for the rest of my life. This sounds terrible. And school was training to sit in an office. This is me in my head. This is how I was envisioning it, right? School was training to sit in an office every day for the rest of my life when I knew that there was this big world out there and I knew that it didn't revolve around me and I knew that there was so much need around the world. I thought, I don't think I can do that. That sounds awful. And so when we got married, we uh, jumped into entrepreneurship because for me, that was a way to make an impact and be out of the box and have some more control back and not have to be just kind of stuck in this, um, stuck in this box. And so it kind of set me on this path of being an out of the box thinker uh, as it relates to most things what you know in in my life and in how i see the world and how i think about things and so when we had our daughter i was like there's no way i'm putting her in this box because right. me school was a box right that was the box that everybody you have to conform to you have to uh, i mean think about it i'm getting i'm getting ahead of myself in you know in the whole school thing but I thought, there's no way. I want to be able to teach my daughter how to think, not what to think. And I knew, because that's how I had come up, that in school, it's all about teaching you what to think. I knew that it, that uh, thought was not encouraged, creative thought, mm-hmm. critical thought. It wasn't. You weren't supposed to come and put your own ideas on a test. You were supposed to put the right answers on the test. Right. And so we knew that we were going to homeschool very early on. And so from then on, it was just a matter of finding, okay, how, what's this going to look like? How is this going to look? So yeah, we've homeschooled our daughter ever since the, I think moms and dads are homeschooling from the moment that child is born. Um, right. They just yeah. realize they're doing it. Sure. But, yeah. yeah. Since she was born, she's been homeschooled and we love it. It's been, it's been a great journey for us. That's amazing. Yeah. It's hard to imagine knowing you guys, uh, Elena going to public school. Yeah, Basically impossible. Uh, yeah. You said so many great things that I want to touch on. One, one thing that I think is really important too, is like in reshaping the question of, I think a lot of times when we think of how stupid it is to ask 16, 17, 18 year olds, like, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? We often think of it in like what percentage of an 18 of 18 year olds, like have a firm idea of what they want to do. But I think a better question is to ask, 30 and 40 and 50 year olds, did you know what you wanted to do? Like the things that you found fulfilling for the last 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, did you know that when you were 17 years old, when you went off to college or when you were applying for schools on stuff? 
And I think that, I mean, the percentage of 18 year olds who know what they want to do is probably like 40% <laughs> or think they know what they want to do. Right. Cause obviously a better question, you have no idea, but the, I think the better way to look at it is probably like 2% of us would be like, yes, I knew what I wanted to do. Cause I think like, I thought I wanted to be a police officer and be in the military forever and do all these other things, you know? And I like experimented with that. <laughs> I said, thank you for your time. And I decided to exit out. That and was I was that, like, right? Yeah, I would have never known that I love podcasting, that I like doing sales, you know, for my job now. And so I think it's so interesting. But the other thing you made me think of, too, and maybe this would be a good segue into some of the educational history. Uh, you'll you'll love this. I don't know if I shared this story with you before, but one time I had a math. Uh, it was like a word problem test in math when I was, I want to say, a junior in high school. And I got every single question right with the final answer but I got like a 70%, 72% on the test because he had some formula that you were supposed to use in order to figure out the problem. And I was just like, really, I was just, it's one of my strengths, right? It's like, if there's like a practical issue of numbers, you have to figure out, you know, how many of X are needed or, you know, what's yeah, the difference yeah. of the time. Um, like I love, like, I really enjoyed like, like entering into that part of my brain, but I had no desire to try to figure out what was this hypothetical thing that I could put into this formula. <laughs> You know, I'm like, why not just figure it out? He saw that I had my work on the side, right? I didn't just copy it. It's not like I just had answers. I had a whole page of work and how I was figuring it out. Um, but I didn't use the formula right. So I got 30% off the test. Meanwhile, those kids who got answers thing. wrong, yeah, and, and and got, you know, 92s and 95s and things like that. And I was like, wow. That's because uh, school is not designed to encourage critical thinking. It's not designed right. to encourage you. Yeah, because clearly... You got the answer right, but it didn't matter. You can't get, we don't even want you to get the right answer on your own. You have to do it the way we tell you to do it. Right. Yeah. And That's you see that method. obviously that gets played out in so many different ways today where it's just like, we just need you to get to the, the conclusion, like our way, <laughs> you know, like there's not, there's not a need to be creative or think of it on your own. And it's really good. I think to hear your expression of why you became a free thinker too, you know, cause I try to share mine and my journey to just like questioning. And I think you know, just questioning things and doubts and taking in such a wide range of experiences, yeah. you know, because then I think it really does break you out of like my way, my family's way, my hometown's way of doing things is the right way or is the only way um, versus being able to have so many different experiences and be able to actually like realize the healthiness of doubting, you know, and questioning things and actually trying to think your own, what is my own view on this? What's my own perspective? Yeah. Man, that's so, you just hit on another really good one. It's so interesting. This year, um, so my daughter's in ninth grade now. In this year, we, we homeschool with a program called Classical Conversations, uh, which we have loved. And this year is the first year that they that they're learning formal debate. This was not something I did in high school. I didn't do debate. We didn't even, wasn't even offered at the school that Definitely I went to. Definitely not. Yeah. And one of the things that's so fascinating that I have learned is anytime you enter into a conversation with somebody, how you enter into that conversation completely determines how the conversation is going to go. And what's crazy and what's so hard and such a hard skill that we're teaching these ninth graders to do that most adults can't do is you have to be able to go into a conversation, even into a debate and be completely willing to be persuaded or to have your thought process changed. Mm. And most people can't do it because think about it. How honest is it? A how honest of a conversation is it? If you go into it and you know, regardless of what the other person says, you're not changing. Right. Now it's not a real conversation. You're placating. 
Maybe, maybe you're just listening to bide the time while they finish talking until you can say what you want to say, but are you really <laughs> listening? Are you really engaging in conversation? And most people don't do it. They can't do it because they can't allow, they don't even have enough confidence in what they know and in what they believe mm. to allow themselves to, to ask the questions just like you said, because it's scary to ask questions if you don't know how to think, because if you don't know how to think, you might not get back to the same conclusion that you came from. And right. if you don't know how to get there, well, that's scary and everything might fall apart, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's terrifying. And people can't do that. People don't, we don't have those skills. I didn't have, I wouldn't say I didn't even have those skills. And it wasn't until <laughs> two years ago when my daughter was in seventh grade, that they just, and one of the new subjects that they had was logic, which again, I never had because I went to a regular school and they don't teach those kind of subjects. They don't, they're not teaching that kind of thing. Right. And they read a book called The Fallacy Detective. And it was a cute, cute book. It's designed for middle schoolers. And it teaches them the different thinking errors, the fallacies, and gives them names to it. And as soon as we started learning the names to these thinking errors, it's like the lights came on. The kids picked it up way faster than I did, right? Because kids always learn faster than adults. And they picked it up. Mm -hmm. And we started seeing it everywhere. And I was like, oh, I was my God. Say, I know, Elena started getting a little bit more annoying to know. Oh, she, she'll point out. I mean, that's a red herring, Poppy. And of course, he's at the time like, well, what's a red herring? What does right. that even mean? But these kids, you can't fool them. You can't fool yeah. them. And that was the year. So that was 2019, 2020. Of course, in the middle of it, the pandemic happened. We roll yeah. into the election year. And these kids are like pointing stuff out right and left. And I right. thought, oh my gosh, they're right. All this stuff that's being fed to us. And then of course, internet fact checkers, that's when all that came about. Yep. All this stuff that's being fed to us, we can't fool these kids. Once you know this stuff, you can't be fooled. And I thought, if I didn't know this as an adult, how much of this would I be getting fooled by? How much of this would I be like letting affect me, letting, you know, letting it take up space unnecessarily in my brain because I don't know how to deconstruct the argument. And, and then I, it, it, you know, and it just results in so much mental turmoil. People are being manipulated. There's like, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that happens with it. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. I think uh, I remember it was I think August of 2020 was the first time I came to your new house in Colorado Springs, and I remember you guys telling me about the book then, uh, and just like yeah. going on this journey and about the fallacies and things like that. Um, and I think Noble was still processing and reliving some of the frustrations of being caught out so often uh, throughout yeah. that year <laughs> at that yeah. time. But um, yeah, I think you know going back to what you said too about being open to learning both sides. I think that's something that even people who agree with me on a lot of topics will sometimes ask like, why do you read this like nonsense, you know, from like super leftists and things like that. It's like, cause I genuinely want to, I want to be the person who in these topics that I find, especially most important can argue the, the pro-choice side of the argument or can argue, you know what I mean? The, the gender theory side and what they're advocating for and actually know what it is that they think and why they think that we're wrong, not just what I think and why I think that I'm right. You know? Uh, and I think all that too ultimately comes down, especially should uh, for us Christians, be the the quote that I love from Abraham Lincoln, which is um, that when somebody he had a reporter once asked, like in the midst of the Civil War, like, do you think God's on on your side? And he said the question should not be if God's on on my side, but if I'm on God's side, you know. And I think that's what we all have to. And if you if you go into arguments thinking that, 
you know, genuinely saying, I want to know the truth. I want to know, I want to be on God's side, right? Then you have a different openness to hearing other things with the openness of like, hey, maybe I'm wrong. You know, like I've been wrong before. And I think that's the importance too of having your mind change at certain points in your life too. And not just... Yes. And when when people can't do that, when they don't have the ability to go in and truly, truly understand the other side of the argument, that's why we resort to fallacies. That's where bad thinking comes in. Or we resort to emotionalism because we're like, well, I don't agree with that, but I don't even know why. I can't even, I can't even construct a good argument against this. So I'm just going to be emotional. Yeah. And that's, and that's, there's society right there is we're all just emotional because we feel this certain way about something and we may or may not know why we certainly don't know why the other side feels or thinks the way that they do. And so now it's just a shouting, just a bunch of shouting back and forth at each other and nobody's really getting anywhere. Yeah. And now we just have this world of outrage where outrage is encouraged, like, cause you're so frustrated. And I think it should, you know, all of these things and hopefully, you know, everything that you're going to share today, um, does encourage us as Christians too to be more compassionate towards people that we disagree with. Cause I think that so often it's, it's easy when somebody gets so angry to just be angry back, yes. but to have the, the pause to say they weren't taught how to think. Right. Um, they don't know how to like process their emotions about being proven wrong, you know, with facts right. and logic. And it's very frustrating. It yeah. is very frustrating to be like very convicted about something and then just be demolished logically, you know, it's like, not, mm-hmm. it's like not a good time. And so, uh, yeah, I think we have to have compassion for people like that, but let's talk a little bit about that. How do you, you know, how we got to this point where the system, especially the educational system, uh, does fail so many people. So the thing that's so fascinating is our education system that we have now is actually very new in history. It's only been around for the last 200-ish years. Before that, we were all kind of classically trained. Um, That was more the norm. So quick history on logic and where this all started. So Aristotle is kind of known as the father of logic. 335 BC is when he lived approximately. Um, There was some logic studied in ancient India, ancient China, and it was actually really popular for centuries, for a long time. And then somewhere in the medieval times, it kind of started fading away. And the way that we got to where we're at, so back in the late 1700s, early 1800s, it all started with Prussia. Prussia was a German state and they, they were like a war machine and they were so good. In fact, that they would rent out their soldiers and their armies to other nations that were going to war and they would come in and they would help them and they would win. So they were like a winning machine basically is what was happening in Prussia. They even fought, incidentally, Prussians were hired to fight on both sides of the revolutionary war, which I don't think a lot of people know. So I think that's interesting. It was all fine and dandy, and it was making them a lot of money in Prussia until 1806. They got defeated in a notorious battle by, um, uh, oh, I just lost the guy's name. You're going to have to edit this out, Nathan. (laughs) You got to edit this out. What's the guy's name? I got it right here. They were defeated. He's fa- oh Napoleon, of course. As I was going to guess, I should have helped you out there. <laughs> so in 1806, they were defeated in this notorious battle by Napoleon. And 
now, of course, so the king and all the generals are like, oh, crap, what happened, right? How did we get beat? We are the best in the world. How do we get beat? If, if we now can't rent out our soldiers because the rest of the world thinks we are terrible, we're going to lose money, blah, 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 all this stuff. So they looked into it and they decided that the reason that they were no longer winning is because the soldiers were starting to think for themselves. They were starting to choose which orders they were going to obey and which commanders they were going to listen to. So they wow. said, we cannot have this. So they had to, they assigned some scholars to come up with this system uh, because where they were feeding the army from was from the commoners, right? The commoners that lived in the country. And so they said, well, we have to have a system so that the young men that are coming into the military will not think for themselves and will not pick and choose which orders they're going to follow and which commanders they're going to listen to. So they created the very first government-run compulsory, compulsory education system. They created the first public school system. And it was created to be uh, what was called like a factory-based education system, mm. meaning you kind of put kids in, in little clumps by age, and they're on this conveyor system. They go through first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, all the way through. And then when you spit them out, they are going to be a person who will follow orders and who won't question and who is easily controlled. That was the whole goal of the system. And guess what? It worked. It worked great. Now they had their soldiers, they had workers, and they realized this system will benefit not only armies, but also managers, you know, factories, anywhere where you need people to do work and not ask questions, this system will benefit from. <clears throat> well, word got out around the world, and now everybody was sending people over to study their system, and Horace Mann is the person from the United States who went and studied it and brought it back to the United States. He brought it to Massachusetts, and I will tell you this, it was not popular. Um, there were wow. some people in Massachusetts who showed up with guns saying, we're not doing this. <laughs> we don't want this kind of education for our children. The kind of education that we've had up until now is what we want. Well, guess what? They were overruled and that is what we got in the United States. And the whole purpose of what we have, the education system that we have now in the West, and it's not just here, it's now pretty much everywhere, is to produce followers and people who are easily controlled, manipulated. And the number one, well, there's several things that they did to do that. But the biggest thing that they did is they stopped teaching people how to think. Because if you don't have critical thinking abilities, you now will just do what I tell you to do without thinking. It gets super easy. It gets right. hard if you think for yourself, right? Anything it gets hard if you're like, no, I can do this problem, but I want to do it this way. Well, now I just lost control of you. Right. <laughs> got a 78 on that test, right? Yep. Doesn't matter if you did a good job, you didn't do it how I wanted you to do it. So therefore it's wrong. Absolutely. And so, the whole system is built off. We have to produce people who uh, can follow orders. Yeah. It's really interesting, you know, and then you have the, you obviously like rote memorization and just like basic following the steps and everything uh, similar to the math problem that I shared, which is, yeah, I mean, yeah, you could even see it, it's one of my most interesting things. And I'm, I'm sure it's some type of like, there's gotta be some type of like philosophical term for this too. But the fact that in today's world, we have this kind of like oxymoron of the people who claim the most like moral authority are those who are most educated, who in turn are actually just the most brainwashed and actually like have the least ability to actually think for themselves. 
Um, and yet they still think, you know, well, I, I went to college, I have a master's degree and like, I've, I've been with friends. I've, I've had friends who some are not, you know, college educated. Some have master's degrees. I'm in the middle with an undergrad degree, you know, and I'm like, if we have a philosophical discussion, like I know that my friend with a master's degree is going to have no, nothing to add. <laughs> Meanwhile, oh. my friend who didn't or went to college for a year and failed out, you know, but now takes his faith really seriously, takes his learning very seriously. He'll have a lot to share and a lot to add and uh, can process and, you know, give insight on things and just actually think, you know, and participate in those kinds of discussions. So it's a really interesting thing now that after 220 years of that, you know, we see people who think they're the most educated and think they're the smartest that actually have like almost no brain capacity other than memorization. (laughs) There are even companies that they will not hire you. The higher education you have, the the less they want you because you've lost more and more of your ability to think. And you said there must be a fallacy in there. It is. There's a fallacy. It's called appeal to authority. That's saying that the more somebody Mm -hmm. is an expert in this, therefore they must be correct right and so the appeal is look at all look at their titles look at all the degrees after their names rather than saying looking at the argument was well, the argument right is their logic right so right. yeah you nailed it you just didn't know the name exactly yeah i figured you would i appreciate that you're like having a you know dictionary at the source or something right <laughs> for the fallacies but yeah it's so crazy and i think i even thought about that recently too with like um uh you know with going to grad school I had to, yeah, as you know, like I moved out here originally to go to grad school and get my master's in theology. And I just kind of got to this point where I was like, I, I had to like stop and question myself, be like, I don't need this. And I think that when I explained the story to people and it, it wasn't like super hard for me to come to that realization, but I just like took a pause. Once it got like, I had some like serious obstacles come up to me going to grad school. Um, and I was like, I just, that was the question that I asked. It just like naturally followed for those of us who like think about things, right. It's like, well, this, this would obviously cost trade-offs, which is another thing that like conservatives and Christians are like willing to recognize, right? Like, I'm like, I can pursue this, but I'm going to have to give up a lot of other things in my life, like time with Emily, like my podcast. And it was like, is this worth it? And do I need it? Right. And just kind of like actually thinking through the situation. And I think when I share that with a lot of people, because it just, it seems so prestigious. It seems so great. You got offered a full ride to get your master's degree at a prestigious place, you know, like, why would you not do that? And it's like, you work, you do church things. Like, don't you? And it's like, no, I don't think that I need that. Right. You know? And I think that I need to keep learning. I need to keep growing in my faith. I need to keep growing in my understanding of all these things that I try to share and teach about. Right. But I'm like, but I don't need a degree to show. I'm like, I, how many, how many conversations do you have with people? You know, I'm like, I have these theological debates or I, I remember one time you'll love this story too. So <laughs> this is a really good one. when I was getting out of the army, I applied for like a youth ministry position all over the place. And I got offered several of them, but there was one lady who was like really hard on me. Uh, and she was in, uh, in Baltimore. I can't remember what parish it was, but she was a brand new, like DRE at the school or at the parish, the director of religious education. So she would have kind of been like my boss. And I remember talking to her and she was just like, you don't have a theology degree. And I was like, no, I don't. And she was like, well, like, how do I know that you know things? I was like, I said, ask me something. (laughs) So she did. She asked me like two and like difficult ones, like Catholic teaching on like contraception. And then one was on like same sex attraction and things like that. Like, how, what would you say if you were like a kid came up and asked you about these things? And I just went on like this great, like three minute spiel about it. Cause I was like, I've been doing youth ministry for two years in Fayetteville, you know, like I, I study these things. I've been evangelizing for, you know, at that point, like eight years, pretty intentionally in my life and leading Bible studies and like answering these questions for people. 
And she was just like, oh, wow. And I could like see her be like, wait a minute. Because she was like in her master's or, or, you know, doctor program somewhere and just thought like, well, if you don't have a theology degree, how can you know anything? And I'm like, I bet you, I was like, I'd be willing to go up, not with somebody with a master's, but I was like somebody who's, I was 26 at the time, somebody who graduated four years ago from college with an undergrad degree. I bet you we could go toe to toe. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and she's like, oh, you know, uh, let me ask you some questions. And then I rocked them and she was just like, oh. It was incredible. <laughs> and the reason that happens is because people think school equals education, education equals school. And mm-hmm. it doesn't. It and doesn't. intelligence. Intelligence is in oh, there too. Intelligence is not even in the equation for me. Like how many people have got through school and you're like. Oh, for sure. No, I just mean that the education and intelligence, like people equate it, I think wrongly. Right. But people right. think that, yeah. Totally, totally wrongly. And yep. I always say, for me, Think about how many people skated through school and didn't learn anything. Right. Right. Didn't learn a thing. And for you, the problem that I feel like we have is people think that the only place and the main place that we learn is in school. Yep. And I think it's wrong because they think, oh, I'm done with school, right? I'm done with now. I'm done with my learning. I know what I need to know. And this is one thing that we have been huge on and why we love classical conversations is because they teach the skills of learning. Like there are actual Mm -hmm. skills. There's a whole, there's a set of them, about 15, that if you know these skills, you can learn anything. If I wanted to go learn computer programming right now, which I do not, but I know how to learn things. So whatever it is that I want to learn, I can go learn it because I know these tools. So to me, I feel like a more important thing to teach kids in school is how to learn so that when they do have an interest or something that they're fascinated with, they can go learn it themselves, whether they're in school or whether they're not in school. And when you have the mindset that I can only learn in school or that's where I do learn things, now people turn their brains off. And they tend to think that you have to have this degree or else how can you know anything? I was the same way as you. I did great in high school. I had great grades. I ended up going to Bible college because when I got out of school, again, my whole thing about why, well, why would I want to go sit in an office, right? I want to do something that is meaningful and that matters. And so went to Bible school, graduated from there. And then everybody's like, well, you need to just continue your college education and get this college degree. And so for the first time ever, ever I went to this public university. And I lasted about three weeks because I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. These professors don't have anything to offer me. I don't, I don't like how they talk. I don't like, no, I'm out. I'm done. I totally just opted out. And I have not once regretted it. Not once. There is not one thing I have missed out on. There's not one thing that I can't learn for myself or teach myself. And I'm not in a field where I have to have a, you know, a degree in order to like, if right. you're a doctor, you're going to have to go to med school, right? It is. What yeah. It like is. Those things exist. Yeah. <laughs> That's a real thing. But for me, just in my life, I feel like I've gotten such a better education because think about it. When do you learn better when you're forced to learn or when you're interested and fascinated with something? Right. And when you're interested yeah. in fascinating, you always learn better. Always A hundred percent. Absolutely. And I think that's interesting too, to hear that and hear your journey. And obviously like I fully support it and, and agree with it, but I'd love to hear if, if you got pushed back from any family or friends, or if you ever had like doubts in your own mind, because I think a lot of things for women or men, when they think about homeschooling, it's like, it's, it's got, I mean, I, I think it is. And I think I've even experienced this with just planning on it. 
if we God willing have kids is it's overwhelming to think like, I'm going to be the kid's teacher. You know, like you have to, you think, cause you think back, I think to like your grade school experience and you're like, so I have to know all of this about biology and chemistry and math and algebra and all this stuff where while most people can't like multiply in their heads, you know, so it can be intimidating <laughs> to think like I'm going to be the instructor, but obviously things like classical conversations and other programs are wildly helpful in that. But yeah. Did you have any experience with any of that? Any doubts or anything? Yes. Uh, no, never did. It. Never did. I have a doubt. Never did. I have a, awesome. any thought that think, okay, think about, think about this. The edge, the system that you came through, you did K through 12 and then you did undergrad, right? It's got you thinking, can I even teach my four-year-old, five-year-old kid? Right. <laughs> Why do you think it's a good idea you to put your kid into a system <laughs> that's got you wondering if you can even teach basic kindergarten. <laughs> like, why would you do that? How, how well did that work that's out for funny. you? Right? Isn't that funny? Those are one. Those are some of the things that people can don't I, think through. Can I stay ahead of my eight-year-old? Yeah. Can like I stay ahead of my eight-year-old? So let me go put them in a system that's going to make them feel like they don't know anything either. Yeah. Like, no, wow. this, is, this is kind of silly. So in classical conversation, the way that we talk about this is me as the parent Yes, I'm the teacher, but the way I look at it is I'm the lead learner. Mm. So we talk about it is we're redeeming two generations of education at the same time. The child that's going through and the parent who now is getting to learn the tools of learning and the joy of learning for the first time. Right. Because, because we're not cramming things down. We're not studying for a test and then forgetting everything the next day. We don't do that. Like that's right. not how, that's not how we operate. So you get to learn for the joy of learning. So everything that my daughter has learned, I've just learned right with her. And again, if you know how, and you're interested in learning, you'll figure it out. We always go into it with the mindset of, oh, we'll figure it out. This is algebra one this year. I don't I don't know if I remember any of this, but we'll figure it out. Yeah. I can read, I can read a textbook just like you can. <laughs> you, you know can what I mean? Read. Yeah. You guys have a lot of books. Yes, okay. you do. <laughs> <laughs> You've read a lot of them. Uh, you didn't, you don't just buy them. <clears throat> um, but I think that's awesome. You know, I think, yeah, it's so real. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I, th I think of how excited I am to parent to be able to like talk through so many different situations, you know, like it's one thing that like I, I hit certain things or Emily and I are going through certain things, you know, whether it's budgeting or just like making decisions about whether or not to go to an event and just like being open about like, this is how I process this or like, man, like, work has been really stressful. Like this is what I'm planning to do to like deal with that stress or to like come back from being behind. Like just talking to like some of those things that you learn in life, but so many people do would take this approach of, well, I can't, I can't be the lead learner because I graduated already. Right. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm done learning. Like I, I finished learning yeah, 10 years ago for some people, you know, people wait to have kids now to their mid thirties or something. You're like, I'm, I'm half my life out of like when I finished learning, when yeah. I quit learning, you know? And so it's like really difficult or crazy to imagine, but I love that reframing of like, you really can't teach a six-year-old. You can teach a six-year-old. You probably That's shouldn't be it. a parent. Yeah. I mean, you probably shouldn't be a parent at all. You know, like <laughs> if you don't get intimidated about like tying shoes and teaching them how to tie their shoes or walk or catch a baseball, uh, then you probably should feel pretty confident with like teaching addition. Yes. A hundred. And, and that's the thing. That is one of the things that I think is so beautiful about homeschooling is two things. Number one, you realize, and you can see how everything is interconnected. 
Okay, when you're in school, you're sitting in math class and you're sitting there for 55 minutes. And as soon as the bell rings, you close the math book, forget about everything you just did in math because it's time for science. And now right. you're in science. And when you're in science, you're not talking about math. You're not talking about literature. You're not talking about anything else. You're just talking about science. And when that bell rings, you close the book and you go on. Everything is stovepiped. Yep. Right? They're subjects. You're taught subjects and the subjects never mix they never melt and you never see how they work together but that's not real life god created a universe it's all one we have one creator and everything points back to one creator and so math intertwines with science and that intertwines with literature and that intertwines with the scriptures it's all interconnected and when you can have conversations about things rather than just being stovepiped into studying a subject, now you can see the interconnections from all of them and it opens up the world, right? right. It's not just boring mathematical formulas. You're seeing, well, what does this have to do with music? And what does this have to do with literature? And all of it is interconnected and it all points back to a creator, right. which I think is amazing. And then number two, what you said, to be able to have these conversations like this year in, um, in one of the classes that Elena had is we read through original documents. So starting all the way back with the Declaration of Independence from famous court cases, like we read and we had to annotate and talk about these original documents. And when you read those together with your kid, now when things come up in society or you hear things or things yeah. happen on the news, you can go back. Like I can ask my daughter right now, well, what's the 14th amendment say about that? And she knows, she'll tell you, she'll tell you, <laughs> okay, this just got, you know, announced from the government. And she'll say, well, that yeah. violates the first third. Yeah. He can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't fool them when they know and when they've read it and now you have these conversations about why and why not and what does it mean and how does that affect us and now that takes the learning from filling out the you know the 25 questions on a quiz to now this is part of my life and I can see how this all fits together and this affects me this affects my relationship with other people and my relationship with God and it just yeah. opens up the world yeah, it's so powerful to to think of seeing things from such a higher view and really thinking outside the box, like you're saying, you know, and be able to see the interconnectedness of it all is is so powerful. I mean, I think back to like sometimes I'll be reading, and it's so funny to me now that I read books, you know, and I read definitely read a lot more conservative books than I do liberal books, but I do read both to get, like I was saying earlier. But it's funny to me when I'm reading conservative books, especially by books by people, by authors and speakers that I really like and really listen to and really resonate with, um, find a lot of truth in what they have to say. Um, that I'll, they'll quote certain like past authors or speakers that I, I'm like I remember being conditioned to think that that person was wrong. Yes. And that yes. this person was stupid and like they were extremists and they were crazy, right? Like I remember that, and I can I can like I'm like still experiencing it. Like sometimes I'll read their names before the quote. You know what I mean? As this person put it, and I'm like, I already have like a negative inclination to, towards what they have to say. And I'm like, and now I've read five books that have quoted him or her. And I'm like, and I've loved every quote, you know? And like, now, like, now I have books. to yeah. reconsider. Yes. Exactly. It's yes. really, really crazy. So it is cool to just see the ability to like, well, let's read what it actually said. And what did the founding fathers actually say? And, and not just taking this world of sound bites and, uh, 
you know, Instagram reels or tick, you know, 30 second TikToks to take your news in. Um, but actually seek out the source and be like, I'm going to take the time to actually read what this person or, or that person had to say, you know, is such a different way to live. And think about it and think about the, you know, think about the argument for the argument's sake, not just, right. you know, taking it from, well, this person is X. That's actually, that's one of the, one of the fallacies. It's called an ad hominem. It's where you're not looking, it's, it's Latin for to the man, Right to the man. Mm. So rather than listening to the argument and arguing the argument, you say something about the person. It's either a personal attack on the person or something about their character traits. Well, Nathan has a beard. So clearly, whatever, right? That has nothing to do with with the merit of your argument. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens when you don't have that ability to think things through, when you're not able to look at the argument for the argument's sake, is you get something in their head about, well, this person is that, they're an extremist or they're X, Y, Z without even asking, is their argument even valid? Because maybe it is. Right. Yeah. Which I think is such, it's also so helpful to read things from the other side. Cause then you can like specifically be like, this is what I agree with. This is what I disagree with because they're out there, I think in the world, but there's few people who we a hundred percent disagree with on everything. Right. You know, and but you think I think half the country, the country, they disagree on everything with the other half of the country, you know, because of the way certain certain topics, something like covid or, um, you know, abortion, when that comes up, like gets so like publicized and and divisive that people actually think, well, if you're pro-choice, like you're automatically like full nine months, all for any reason whatsoever. And then on the pro-lifers, they're like fully convinced that you just want to control women's bodies. You hate women. You're like support the patriarchy. You support sexism and misogyny and all these other things. Uh, you, you hate rape victims and all this. And it's just like you get into these camps immediately versus like two people generally talking and you realize like, oh, wow, like you, you really struggle with abortion or you're anti-abortion personally and and pro it for other people, which obviously like, I don't agree with that, but it's, that's a lot more reasonable than being like the champion, you know, like you see the TikToks of people who are like very like championing it and bragging about it. And I think you start to realize like, wow, like maybe we're not as far off as I thought, you know, and we actually have a lot more in common than, than I previously assumed. No, a hundred percent. And I don't even think most people even know what they are thinking or why they're thinking what they're thinking. Right. So the thing is other people are, committing fallacies, but we're committing them too. Right. And that's what I think about my podcast. Like every time I introduce a fallacy, I'm giving examples of it and I'm given, I give some that are kind of simple and silly so that you can understand the fallacy. But then I give a real one that, okay, I saw this in my newsfeed this week (laughs) or this was going around and here's the fallacy and here's why here's the error in the thinking that's behind this. Cause we have to be able to recognize it in ourselves, in the groups and the organizations that we're a part of, because, you know, it's not just, it doesn't just happen in politics. It's happening in advertisements. It's happening in religious organizations and business organizations. It's because it's a human thing. We're humans. And if we don't have, if we don't know this, if we don't have the skills of thinking good, we're automatically going to commit a fallacy, which is just an error in thinking. It's a thinking error. And if we don't know how to do it right, we're going to do it wrong. And so yeah. once you're able to start to recognize it in other people, you'll recognize it in yourself and just tell your teen, teach your teenager. This is my thing. I hope, I hope that I get a whole bunch of teenagers. I want Gen Z listening to this podcast because I think my generation, 
I don't know. I hope they're open to learning. I hope they're open to this kind of stuff. But if we can get the teenagers to be yeah. able to recognize good thinking and know how to think well, we just might have a shot at <laughs> saving this country, yeah. right? And going yeah. into, going into a place of more reason and let's get out of this emotionalism. We don't have to live in this state of constant emotional fervor about things. We do that because we don't know how to think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, even what you said there too, to have the humility to recognize that it does happen in so many different areas, but it also happens on like our team, whatever yeah. team you find oh, yourself yeah. on, you know, it's like yeah. for me as a conservative to be like, yeah, Republicans do that too. To me totally. as a Catholic to be like, Catholics do this too. Yes. You know, Catholics like what, yeah. yes. <laughs> Cause it's so easy to like exclude your group, you know, um, from, from any of this stuff. But yeah, I think that's really important. That's great. So I'd love to ask, you know, obviously there's some, some major terms, you know, I was, I was scrolling through the, the website of your podcast, which we, we definitely need to talk a little bit more about that. I have thoughts on that too. Um, but would love, yes, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, some of the major terms, you know, you discuss are propaganda, cognitive bias and logical fallacy. And uh, I really would love to talk about propaganda because I think it's such a common one today um, and is used in, in so many ways. And I think people, because of their lack of critical thinking, obviously fall into it, but would you just define that for us and, and maybe share just a little bit of your thoughts on it? Yes, absolutely. So propaganda is when people use um, tactics that are designed to manipulate you mentally and emotionally, right? So it's often used by advertisers. A lot of times we see this in yeah. advertisers and it, it's not always bad, right? People do it because it works. So for instance, they'll say, um, you know, the sale only lasts for 12 yeah. hours and we close in 12 hours. Well, that's giving a sense of urgency. There's, these are, this is marketing. Right? It's kind of marketing right. 101, urgency and scarcity and all these things. So those are some things that, that get used, but what happens is they're trying to get you to buy something. They're trying to get you to do something, or they're trying to get you to join their group or think a certain way. And the way that they try to get you to do that is by playing on emotions. Mm. Or by giving you, you know, mentally trying to manipulate you a little bit to think a certain way or to stop thinking a certain way or to see things from their perspective. Propaganda is everywhere, right? Yeah. So anything that appeal that's appealing to an emotion, that's appealing to, um, you know, a, a way of thinking versus using logic and actually presenting the argument and what it is for what it is that's going to be a form of propaganda. Some of them are, can be pretty harmful. Some of them I think are probably fairly benign, but when you know them and you can recognize them now you can say, Oh, okay. So that they're using scarcity. They're trying to get me to join because of scarcity or they're using an appeal to pity. The classic mm -hmm. example of appeal to pity is the, um, the, the TV commercials and they're Sarah showing you emaciated dogs. Yeah, right? <laughs> Here's all the dogs laying on the, on the street in the arms of the angels is playing yep. in the background, right? It's an appeal to pity. And you so that- $5 today. There you go. Saving <laughs> a puppy, right? Yeah. Is there anything wrong? There's nothing wrong with it, right? So it's, right. Not, it's not always bad, but if you can recognize, okay, that's an appeal to pity. Now you can think through, is this something that I really want to support that I believe in? And if so- give your $5, right? right? But don't do it just because you're emotional. Right. That's the whole point of understanding and knowing the names of these things. Do it because it's the right thing to do and something that's in alignment with your values and you agree with, not just because you're caught up in emotions. Another big one is an appeal to fear. Can mm -hmm. you think of anywhere that we've had an appeal to fear in the world over the last two years? 
Not, right? not recently. Yeah, nothing not comes recently. to mind, but yeah. I'll let you know if I think of something later. Yeah, right. So appeal to fear. Man, yeah. fear is a huge motivator. So if you can whip up some fear in people, you can get them to do almost anything. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It's so powerful. And I think, you know, uh, it's so important to, to, to be able to take that pause and just reflect on when you're getting emotional, right? Because it's part of the reason why I take a step back from politics or certain debates or, you know, things sometimes, because it's like, sometimes I get tired. I love Ben Shapiro, but sometimes I get tired of how worked up he is every day, you know? And sometimes like, I want to take in some thoughts. Like, that's why I love Jordan Peterson. I love Thomas Sowell. They both do get worked up every now and then, but they're generally pretty calm, cool, and collected. And they'll debate people that disagree with them and they don't get like super worked up. They're just like, this is the truth. And I think when you're really, really grounded and settled in what you believe to be true and you've really given it some time and thought about it, you don't need to get all worked up and excited or to try to appeal to fear or appeal to people's emotions. You can just lay out the facts and almost like a, an actual journalist, you know what I mean? Be like, this is what has happened. This is what it seems like, you know what I mean? Like where the motivations behind that because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, you don't have to get all like angry and worked up and try to get everybody else pissed off to get on your side more. You can just lay out the truth. I I say it's almost when you know how to think and when you know what these fallacies are and the cognitive biases and you're able to argue just like what you said and present an argument that way, it's like a superpower that the majority of people don't have. When you can think That's why they set the school system up the way that they did. Because guess what? The people who are running things, running countries, they don't send their kids to the same schools we go to. Yep. They're sending their kids to the schools where they can be the ones in control. And so when you, and what they're, what, what's the difference? The difference is they're learning how to think. And so when you have these skills and you know how to think, guess what? It's a superpower. And it's almost like, you know, how Superman can like fly circles around the world and we're all just kind of standing there, you know, doing nothing. That's a little bit what it's like is you can kind of see things that nobody else can see because you know how to think it's, it's amazing. It is. Yeah. And I'm definitely still working on my ability to express myself without getting worked up. I get pretty passionate here and there, but, um, and by here and there, I mean, very frequently, especially on the (laughs) podcast, (laughs) it's funny yelling in my apartment by myself sometimes. Um, but I think it is something that's really cool, especially with what you and Noble are doing. The combination of these two podcasts, I think is really powerful for the world because you are really addressing the two main things that I think guide people's behavior, you know, your, your thinking and your emotions. And so many people are overwhelmed by their emotions because they neglect them, because they fail to tend to them or like seek to and strive to better understand them. And on the other side, people aren't actually taking time to think. So, um, yeah, we haven't talked, we haven't talked too much about that, but your, your podcast, I know we talked before we started recording, uh, you, you did a bunch last night and, uh, you're looking to launch here in the next couple of weeks, which by the time this comes out, will have been about a month or so. Um, but yeah, very excited. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so the podcast is called Filter It Through Brain Cell um, because the the whole goal is hopefully you'll you know you'll get the skills to be able to learn how to think. And my whole goal for this is to keep it to keep it light, to keep it. I, I mean, I kind of address a couple heavy things because I pull things from current society, but it's very much something you could listen to with your kids. You could listen to they're they're short little episodes. I want to keep them between five and 10 minutes because each one I am simply presenting here is a fallacy. This is the name of it. This is what it sounds like. Here's the error and the thinking. Here's two or three examples. So you can recognize it. And here's the question. I always give one question that you can ask yourself uh, to help you 
think it help you discover if there's a fallacy being used. And when you have that question, wow. it gets super clear. Like it gets super, super clear. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, that's the podcast. It's going to be simple. It's going to be fun, but hopefully it's going to be really powerful for people to be able to learn, to learn these things and to learn what the names are and how to recognize them and yeah, what's wrong with thinking. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, that's great for Seeking Excellence listeners because a lot of times they're listening to me and then they pick up their kids and they want to turn me off because uh, of the language and some things. You're heavy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead. You, you can just switch it up to a brain cell. Both the parent and the kids are learning. I mean, what yeah. a what a great combination. You know what I mean? We could be out there in the world. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so mine is great. definitely going to be the keep the keep it G, uh, keep it G podcast. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about some issues, but not in the way that you do. That's so funny. Well, that's one great. of the reasons why I thought it was so important. And I just wanted to bring this on because I know you talk yeah. all about the seven pillars and, and what does this have to do? What is our ability to think have to do with our relationship with God. And, you know, you, you touched on emotions, you touched about our, our ability to think, and this is how God created us. He, you know, he created us yes. with emotion and it's good, but it's not supposed to be in control, right? We're not supposed to be controlled by our emotions. It's just part of who we are. And he also created us with the ability to think. And there's a few verses that I think we gloss over in the scripture, but when we kind of stop and look at it, it's like, oh, wow. God really does want us to think and he wants us to think well, like this is the worthy pursuit to learn how to do this. Um, a couple that I was just going to share on here is Proverbs 25, two, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of Kings to search it out. Mm. And the word glory can also be translated as the honor. Like it's an honor for God. He created things to conceal it, but it is our honor to search it out. And that word honor, I like to geek out on what the words mean um, in the Bible. That word search it out means to examine intentionally, right? So like we are supposed to be getting intimately into examining things. And we might think, well, examine what? It could be things about nature. It could be things about human nature, right? Whatever it is, God created it. And it's there for us to see, to search out. I also like Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, noble, mm. right? Pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And I think we tend to put the emphasis on think about these things, right? As if, oh, there's, we're just, we take it to mean, don't think about negative things. Mm -hmm. I think when you break it down, this sentence is actually a commandment. God is telling us, think about these things. Mm. He's telling us, think about these things. How often do you think about what you're thinking about? How often do we look at an idea and, and do we say, do we look at the idea and analyze it for truth, for beauty, for goodness, for, for virtue? We don't. Right. But, we, but why does it matter? Because every action was an idea first. All of our actions come from ideas. And if we don't take the time to analyze our ideas and see if they're virtuous, see if there is anything praiseworthy, is it even true? Is this thing even true? Then we're taking action on all the wrong things. And we're taking action on, right. you know, on things that are not going to go in the direction that we, that we want them to go. So I think it's just, you know, like you said, you summed it up really well that 
you know, we have this brain, we have our um, emotions, we have our will, we have all these things and God designed us to use them and to use them well. And mm -hmm. the cool thing that I just want to share with people is that this is not hard. You can learn these skills. It's like, I always say, I didn't learn cooking in school. Is cooking important in your life? Yeah, you need to know how to cook. And so it was my responsibility to go learn how to cook. Well, right. if we didn't learn how to think in school, it doesn't mean we're off the hook. It's still our responsibility to learn how to think and how to think well. And so hopefully people can learn how to do that by listening to the podcast. Amen. I hope so. Oh, I know they will. Um, but that's so awesome. I think it is really mind blowing how often we take this victim mentality towards our education um, and, and say, you know what, I, I should have been taught this. I should have been taught that. And it's like, you don't remember anything you were taught anyways. Right. You know, actually, you, you made me think of like a really funny reel. I think I want to create about that. So I'm like, you know, you always hear people uh, talking about how we should have been taught taxes and investing and all this stuff in school. And it's like half of the people I graduated with forget that uh, in biology class, we learned that there was only men and women. So I don't know what they think they're going to remember <laughs> about the tax code. You know what I mean? You would have ignored it anyways, yeah, right? They biology 101. That was in ninth grade we learned that. This is and most true. people seem to have forgotten. Um, but no, true. I think it's beautiful. And I love the emphasis there and the, the restructuring of the emphasis on that on that uh, scripture verse. I think, you know, think about these things yeah. versus about these things. I never thought about that. That's so true. Um, but yeah, it's beautiful. That is a commandment. We have a responsibility to take ownership over our ability to critical critical think uh, or think critically i mean uh but yeah i'm so excited for your podcast to come out really looking forward to checking it out myself Thank and you. so glad that you're gonna offer a g-rated uh alternative to my yeah. listeners uh where they could go and learn things so yeah thanks kathy i've learned a ton from you over the last six years of my life so it's, it's been an honor to have you on uh the podcast today thanks for joining me thanks Nathan. it was my honor i appreciate it awesome so we'll have all the information we'll have her website and everything in the show notes um you can also check out uh kathy's instagram page for filter through a brain cell and we'll be tagging that obviously on social media as we post about this episode. But thank you all for tuning in. If you found today's episode helpful, I encourage you to share it with a friend. Uh, or if you feel so moved, leave us a review. That always helps a lot as well. Um, and just want to thank you and encourage you to continue to fight hard and strive to be your best.